0: This morning we're going to jump into Jesus' ministry and really what Luke chooses to show as, as the first event of Jesus' ministry. And we're going to see the Jesus coming back home, coming to his hometown, and, and what kind of reception he got. Receptions matter, right? So, so, Guy, how many of you have been on business trips? A number of you guys have been on business trips. When you come home, how you're received home matters, right? sort of reveals some things. I can remember going to Israel with some of you a couple months ago and we were gone a couple weeks and when I got home it was great because there were signs, welcome home, dad, and all this. But imagine if if I walked in the door and Mark and Jeffrey are off on the corner playing a game and I'm like, Hey boys, I'm home. And Jeffrey says, Oh, okay. Good to see you, Dad. And Mark says, Oh, were you gone somewhere? What would that reveal? That reveal I have some problems at home that I need to deal with, and, and perhaps I'm not engaging my, my kids as, as I should be. And so receptions, receptions reveal so much about relationship and hearts and things that are going on. Today, as we, we look at Jesus being received back in Nazareth, his hometown, we're going to see Luke begin to compare and contrast different receptions to Jesus' ministry. There's different groups of people that responded in different ways and we're going to see one response in the region of Galilee today. We're going to see another response in his hometown of Nazareth where they, they know him and this should be great. And, and as we continue to study, we're going to see another response from the, the religious leaders of the time and another response from the poor of the time and those that are needy of the time. And Luke is showing us these things to get us to start to think about how do we receive Jesus? Jesus. How do we respond to Jesus? And this morning when I say receive or accept Jesus, I am not just talking about saying the prayer when you were five. Okay? I am talking about how do we accept Him into every part of our lives? How do we receive His message? Is it with closed hard hearts or is it with open hearts that are seeking to grow? That are seeking to walk with God and seeking a relationship with God? You know, we're we're faced with this question in America as as we we are seeing culture turn, and in many ways, there are some good things about it as cultural Christianity begins to wane. And we were talking about this as staff this week. It is no longer necessarily the cool thing to be a Christian in California. Fair enough? Yeah, and and, and we can lament that and say, oh, government's awful, and uh, that's not our solution. What it is doing is weeding out who believes in God and who doesn't. Who's following God and who doesn't? And there's a, certain, there's a certain healthiness to that actually because what can happen with, with cultural Christianity, I come to church, I said the prayer when I'm five, I'm good. What can happen is we can be comfortable in what we think is our salvation. And I, I am deadly afraid that so many people that are comfortable with what they think is their salvation are going to end up not in heaven into in the judgment of hell. And so we we come to this text, and and this is a serious text that that Luke uses to start and frame Jesus' ministry. So turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And as we talk today, I want to talk about receiving or accepting Christ and rejecting Him. Talk about marginal Christianity and and wholehearted, all-in Christianity. Because that is what Jesus is looking for. Luke chapter 4, we're going to look at 14 through 30 today as we begin his Galilean ministry. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under the chairs right around you. There's a black hardcover Bible. We invite you to take that. If you don't own a Bible, take that home with you. You, you do now. And so we want you to be reading God's Word and have God's Word. But please follow along as we, we go to Luke chapter 4. As we work through the text, we're, going to, we're just going to see a movement as Luke compares the different reactions. And and the main point today, I know there's three points, but those are just sort of the movements of the text. Really, there's one main point today, that accepting rather than rejecting the work of God means having a faith that is more than head knowledge, but actually changes and renews our hearts and actions. Mouthful, right? Let me repeat it, and then I'll just, just simplify it. Accepting rather than rejecting the work of God, so that's what we're dealing with today, means having a faith that's more than just head knowledge, but actually changes and renews my heart and my actions. Here's sort of the the paradigm for today. Think head, heart, and hands. And God wants all three. Head, heart, and hands. And God wants all three. Head, our knowledge. We're to be deepening our knowledge of Him. We're to be understanding Him. And that's part of receiving the message and walking with God. But then our heart... Is, is we should be changed internally. We should be processing the message, be willing to be sanctified and to realize I'm a sinner, I don't have it together, and God needs to work on me. Because we all need work in here. And then finally, hands, what am I doing with it? How is, it, how is my faith affecting my actions? Because if my faith isn't coming out in my actions, it's not real faith. We talked about that in the Young Adult Community Group this week. So head, heart, hands as we move through the text. Think about that. We're going to move through the text and explain it and then look at some applications of it. We start in verse 14. And Luke begins by telling us how Jesus is received through all of Galilee. Verse 14, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And it's just two verses that really summarize what happens. We just left Jesus. He had been tempted in the temptation in the wilderness. And that had just followed the baptism of Jesus. And and that's down by the Jordan River, Jericho area, probably, Dead Sea. And now he goes north, maybe 60, 70 miles, maybe a trip from here to San Diego. And he goes north to the Sea of Galilee, beautiful area. And around the Sea of Galilee, especially on the, the northwest side, are towns like Capernaum and Chorazin and some of the other towns in there. And he, he would go through these towns and he would minister in the synagogues. And his ministry was growing. It says there a good report went out about him through all the surrounding territory. Hey, did you hear about Jesus? Did you hear what he's doing? He healed my brother. There There was this guy that was blind and now he can see. And he's he's teaching like I've never heard someone teach before. It's like he has authority. And he's telling us about repentance and about God. We've never seen anything like it. And that's the report going out. And people are flocking to him. And people are receiving him and, and accepting the message and being changed by it. He taught in their synagogues, being glorified by God interesting word because it's, it's the word for the glory of God. And so they are actually giving glory to God. It's, it's an others-focused. And we, we see just a lot of genuine repentance and a lot of acceptance there. Another, another phrase you probably saw, and you should be seeing this phrase in Luke over and over in verse 14, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. And it's the idea of in, in the strength of the Spirit, that he is not doing this on his own, but his ministry is by the power of the Spirit. You know, we've talked about living in the Spirit, um, through the Spirit, but this is power by the Spirit. And Jesus, again, is giving us an example of what it means to walk with God, right? Did, did Jesus have to have the Holy Spirit's power to minister? No, he's, he's a member of the Godhead. He is God. But no, he's showing us what it means to live like godly men and women. And so he is tapping into the Holy Spirit for his strength and his power. What an example for us in ministry that we should be tapping into the Holy Spirit for strength and power. I I know close to 50 of you are starting to help in Awana this week with little pre-people. And all the fun that goes with that. And it's awesome. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's awesome. But sometimes it's stressful. Fair enough? You need to be prayed up this week. Are you going to come Wednesday night in the power of the Spirit? Or are you going to come and say, I've done this before. I know the score. I know the routine. We're good. And see, familiarity often brings this lack of dependence on God. So I encourage every one of you helping in Awana, make sure you pray before Wednesday. I'm going to be praying for you guys. I'm going to be praying that the Holy Spirit directs your ministry. He provides power. The idea is if the power of ministry is coming from the Holy Spirit, if we're not tapping into the Holy Spirit, there's no power in ministry. And we're wasting our time. You want to change those kids' lives? Pray up Wednesday. Pray before any other ministry that we do. And make sure we see the power of the Spirit. Something interesting, again, we've seen the, the, the Holy Spirit come up several times in Luke, and, and that's one of the themes. But also, we, as we see Jesus showing us what it means to be, be a, a godly person, I want you to think about something that I heard this week that just really impacted me. Jesus is showing us what God intended humanity to be. He is showing us what it really means to be human. What God intended for humanity. So as the second Adam, he's showing us what it could have been like if the first Adam hadn't have fallen. And when I think about that, and I've been just thinking, meditating on that this week, sometimes we use the phrase, I'm only human. And and we're referring to our fallen nature. Oh, it's okay to make mistakes. I blow it. I sin. You know what? I'm only human. Well, Jesus is saying, no, this is what I created humanity to be. To, to not sin, to be dependent on the Holy Spirit, to be in prayer. And so as we study God's Word, think of the example that God that Jesus is giving. Verse 15, he taught in their synagogues. He's on a preaching tour. And he's going through this region that is not the wealthiest region in the area, but he's going to people that are receptive and need him. So the first movement is Jesus is received well throughout Galilee. He's received well throughout Galilee. And Luke's setting up really the whole rest of the passage because now Jesus goes to Nazareth, which is, which is up in the, in the Galilee, but it's a little podunk town, a little bit off the Sea of Galilee. This is where Jesus grew up. And so Jesus is going home. These are the people that saw him grow up. I'd say that saw all his weaknesses, but there weren't any. So they saw this little boy grow in stature and wisdom and favor with God And man, and they saw this, this this godly young man grow up, but to them he's still little Jesus, right? And we do this. And, and so this is where he's coming back. And we go to verse 16. And, and the second movement or the second section of the text is: Jesus impresses his hometown, but they don't accept him as Messiah. They are not changed. Impressing people and being liked is not the acceptance Jesus is looking for. Listen to what happens. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Now, now that's, that's worth just making a note of. One of the things we see is that Jesus was in the habit of meeting with believers, or, or in that case, before the church, with the synagogue, with those that were following God. This was his habit, to not neglect the assembling of ourselves, to not neglect getting together. He was there every week. He made it a priority. Again, think of his example. He knows that as humans, we're not designed to live the Christian life alone. We're designed to live it in community. And so he shows us through his example the importance of church. You know, so- sometimes I hear the excuse, well, I don't go, because I pretty much, I've read the Bible, I pretty much know everything there is. That's a little funny on its face, but think of Jesus. He actually could have said that. And he still went because he's showing us the example of what it means to walk with God. It should take, us a, it should take a lot to get us to miss a Sunday, to get us to miss coming together as the, the body of Christ. And it, it's not about these 45 minutes. This is just part of what we do. Part of what church does is what happens before the service, what happens after the service. When I see people praying together in, in the corner because someone needs to be encouraged, when I see people building into each other's lives, that's all part of what God intended the body of believers to be. And then we see in that verse that Jesus stood up to read. And it was a custom where a distinguished visitor or a rabbi, as they came in, they would be invited to read and teach on a text, the text of that day usually. And we don't know quite whether at this point in the synagogue they had a set order of service. We know that that happened a little bit later. But they would often do some singing from the Psalms. They would recite the Shema. They, they would um, then read a portion of the Torah, the law, the first five books. And then they'd read a portion from the prophets. And it looks like at that moment in their service, because everyone knew sort of the order of service probably, and at that moment the, the leader of the synagogue probably turned to Jesus and said, Hey, w- w- would you read our prophets today? And so Jesus would come and, and he would be handed a scroll. From the the keeper of the scrolls, and he opens up his scroll and he's going to read. and And their custom is when someone taught, they would stand; the the teacher would stand to read God's word, and then they would sit to teach. And, and so he stood to read God's word. Just for fun, I put a picture of a, a scroll up there. I don't know if you you have that, Don. This is a picture of a scroll of Isaiah. Um, this isn't the whole thing. There's one little section of it, and you'd unroll it. And, and, and it is like you see in, in different pictures where you unroll one side, roll up another side. And this would have been part of something, something that Jesus might have opened up and started to read out of. And, and we don't know how the text was selected. It was, it was possible that it was part of a lectionary and just part of where they were that day, which would have been incredible that the sovereignty of God arranged it. Or they might have handed it to Jesus and said, here, pick a section. I actually think probably knowing how they they ran things that it was just a set section and they were going through Isaiah. But we see in, in verse 17, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so he reads that. And and there there is so much that's significant here. He's quoting out of Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, and we talked about that when we studied Isaiah. Um, He also adds one line in of Isaiah 58, but he's talking about what kind of Messiah would he be? What was his ministry going to look like? Is he here to crush the Roman Empire and to make government right again? Or is He here to do something in the hearts and do something far different? And so He uses prophecy to show that. And just look through the prophecy. Again, you see the importance of the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And as we go through these four categories of people that Jesus is coming to reach, these are the outcasts. These are the marginalized of society. He didn't come to the rich, the, the people that don't need a physician. He came to the sick and the needy, which has implications for how we receive Him and what our heart needs to be like. The Spirit of the Lord has come upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, the Gospel to the poor. This is the same word for poor that's used in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And so it's someone that is, is lacking or needy Someone that knows that there's an emptiness there, knows that there's a need there, and and is destitute and understands that. And and here, as we go through these and and we look at these, Jesus fulfilled these on two different levels. Many of these he did fulfill in a physical sense, but the miracles are simply to show in a practical sense what God wants to do in our hearts. And so, yeah, he provided needs for people that were were in need. But what, what the prophecy is saying is god really is proclaiming the gospel to those that realize their need for jesus to those that realize their need it is hard for someone that doesn't think they're a sinner to be saved it is hard for someone that thinks they're a good person and that's how you get to heaven to be saved because that's not it we know that we're all messed up we are all struggle with temptation we all struggle with sin And so, part of this is we have to come to a point of saying, I need Jesus. I can't save myself. It doesn't matter how good I am, what kind of, of how often I go to church, I can't do this on my own. I need to be poor in spirit and need Jesus. The next phrase, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And the word liberty there, it's interesting because throughout the rest of Luke, it's used for forgiveness of sins. And forgiveness of sins is freeing, right? It brings liberty. And here he's saying, yeah, yes, there's a there's a there's a physical sense to this, but the spiritual sense is what he's meaning." I came to provide forgiveness for those that are in captivity to sin, because doesn't sin ensnare us? We get involved in things we shouldn't. It's just hard to give it up. It's hard to let it go. We talked about temptation last week and and some tools for that. But Jesus said, I came to provide forgiveness for those sins, liberty and victory, so you're no longer in bondage to those. That's the same Jesus we serve. That's the same Jesus that wants to provide us freedom from our sin. That's the same Jesus that hung on the cross bearing the penalty of my sin because my sin deserves death. And he died for me so I don't have to and so I can be forgiven. That's pretty incredible. This is a great passage. Jesus goes on and he quotes recovery of sight to the blind. And he did that in a physical sense. We know that he healed many blind people, but it was figurative as pointing to that he's, showing, he's giving knowledge and understanding to those that are spiritually blind. In fact, the word for blind is unable to see or unable to understand. Because before Christ... We are just clouded in our understanding. And to set at liberty those who are oppressed, broken in pieces, shattered, crushed. Anyone feel oppressed at some point this year? A little broken? Shattered? Life hits us in the face sometimes. And Jesus said, I came to give liberty to those people, to give freedom to those people. And finally, he says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he's summing it up with a, a, an allusion to the year of Jubilee. We talked about this in Isaiah, where every 50 years all debts were canceled, all property went back. Um, those that were in debtor's prison got out of prison. And, and it was a year of forgiveness and renewal and restarting. And Jesus is saying, that's what I do. That was just a picture of what I do when I forgive your sins and make you a new man or a new woman. Because now you're in Christ. You are alive in me. And so we see this beautiful proclamation of what the Messiah would be. We know that, that in, in the Isaiah passage, he left off the, the last phrase, and the day of the vengeance of our God. And, and whether he just stopped reading or intentionally left it, I, I think he intentionally left it off because Jesus didn't do things by accident. But he's proclaiming that I'm here to provide this comfort, this relief, this liberty, but judgment's coming. Jesus didn't come to judge the Romans at the time. That's going to happen at the second coming before the great throne of of God. And so he he stops there and he's been talking about, okay, what kind of Messiah will he be, like I said? He's going to bring the gospel to those that are needy, those that are marginalized, those willing to come to him in humility, to receive it in the heart that he's looking for. And in verse 20, it says, and he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And again, the, the reason why I, I share what happens at the synagogue is we think when you sit down, you're done, right? For them, when you sat down after reading God's word, that was a signpost that said, okay, now I'm going to explain it. Now I'm going to teach it. And so he sats down and you can just picture everyone on the little benches around the outside of the synagogue leaning in. What's, this, what's little Jesus going to say? This little boy we saw grow up that we've been hearing all these reports all over, but he hasn't been here yet. What's he going to say? And he began to say to them in verse 21, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I get chills just reading this. He's saying, This is today, guys. You've been waiting for this, you've been thinking it in the it's coming in the future. This is today. And, and he's what he's saying is, I'm the Messiah. I'm the and now he might have gone on and explained those four things a little bit more because it says he began to say to them, but that's the key that, that we're focusing on. Today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And and, and it's interesting because when he proclaims that he's the Messiah, he now is forcing a decision, right? Because now he's, he's put a truth claim out there that is amazing, that is a wow moment, and they have to decide what to do with that. There's a decision. If, if I say right now, if I say, okay, the building's on fire, you need to leave, you have a choice. Do you believe me and leave, or do you just sit here, Right? Thursday night, our youth group was here, right? It was a week ago. And they were playing gotcha. And I'm in a meeting in my office. And the fire alarm goes off. And I have a choice. And so I sat there. Because I didn't believe it. Now, I knew that they were playing with smoke machines, fog machines. And that fog machines set off our, 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 um, our system. But do you see how some sort of a, a truth claim or some sort of event requires a decision? My actions showed whether I believed or whether I didn't. If I get up and leave, I believed. If I didn't, then I sit there and get really annoyed at this buzzer going, no, not really. I knew you guys were having fun. It was great. And, and so there's, there's a choice that he is demanding. If I stand here and, and, and get the... And please don't run me out after I say this. If I stand here and say, I in the second coming of the Messiah. I am Jesus returned, and I'm here to lead you to the kingdom of God. You have a choice. Now, I pray that that we've all been walking with God enough to where your choice is to stone me, no, or to to, to throw me out. (laughs) But you have a choice, right? Either follow me or reject me. And it's based on whether you believe me or not. And that is what Jesus brings Nazareth to. These people that watched him grow up, he brings them to with this statement, today this has been fulfilled in your midst. I'm he. I'm the Messiah. And so then we get to their response. And their response starts by looking like acceptance. But I want you to catch the words there. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said... Isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this little Jesus? I used to watch him with a hammer. He used to like put put things together with dad. But they were marveling at him. And catch what's not said there. What's not said is they repented or they changed. What's given is this idea that they were just amazed that something good came from Nazareth. We have someone that speaks really well. They don't even interact with his claim to be the Messiah here. They're just like, wow, he's a really good speaker. That was a really good, good talk, Jesus. And they missed the point. They spoke well of him, which means they witnessed what he was doing. They marveled. They were astonished and impressed. But that's very different from what Jesus was looking for and he 's going to call them out in the next section they were they admired his words, but they were totally unmoved and affected by their meaning that 's a hard place to be. I get it. this was little Jesus that they watched grow up i I know when I first started preaching, I was eighteen and, and in a church where I grew up with everybody, and everyone knew me and the I, I can remember the, the the comments afterwards were oh that Little Ron, I remember when you were this big. And that was, I'm so impressed. That's not what it's about. It's about the topic. I, and I know as we, one of our our, our um, strengths as a church is we raise up leaders and we raise up young men and women to for the mission field or the pastorate. The temptation is, oh, look, little A.J., He's so cute. <laughs> I remember... No, I don't. Um, you do. Um, but we can get so caught up in the familiarity that we miss the message. And as, as, we, as we go through Scripture and as we go through this text... One of the things I don't want us to do is say, okay, this is just about people receiving Christ for the first time. That's why in the introduction I said this is more than just accepting Christ at the beginning. This is our walk with God, and are we continually accepting Christ? Because so many in this congregation have been Christians for so long, and that familiarity can breed a lack of change and a lack of sanctification because we no longer see God at work in our hearts. But that familiarity also can bring a deep relationship that brings more sanctification. It's how we receive it. And and, and so there's a danger there and a, and a, a beauty there that we have to watch out for. Do we leave on Sunday impressed and entertained or do we leave interacting with the message of God's Word? You could afterwards say, wasn't worship too great today? Their voices were spot on. Really appreciated all the instruments together. Man, musically, they were fantastic. I enjoyed it today. Now, those things aren't bad. We strive for excellence. We want that. But if that's your only takeaway, then we've fallen into the trap of, of Nazareth. And, and we've looked at the superficial. We've looked at the external, and we've missed the message. I know Joshua. We meet and, and I know his heart is that you walk away and saying the words to that song, man, those convicted me or those encouraged me. The very same power we sang this morning that rose Jesus from the dead is the power living in me. That's what we want you to take away from worship, from the song portion. And again, it's not that those other thoughts are are, are not something to, to think about and and we do want that excellence, and we do appreciate the work that the worship team puts in. But can we go deeper? Or are we just going to live with a superficial Christianity? They admired his words, but were totally unmoved and affected by their meaning. We can like Jesus, we can be impressed by Jesus, and not be a follower of Jesus. That makes sense? And not be seeking for him to change our heart. See, really today as we go through this, it's a decision point. Am I like the Galilean synagogues or am I like Nazareth? Third section. And Jesus calls them on it. Jesus, he knows what's going on. Superficial acceptance is really rejecting. It's really rejection. Superficial acceptance is really rejection. Because often we're we're impressed because of self-benefiting things or we're looking for things we want. And so the the text goes on, and he said to them, now he's finished teaching, they haven't reinteracted yet, they're still impressed, but he's noticing that the hearts aren't there. The head may have been engaged, but the heart and the hands, no. And so he says to them, doubtless you will quote me this proverb. And it's worded in the future. Basically, it's when Jesus says, you know, I I bet you're thinking this. And, And he was... Always, right? Doubtless you'll quote me this proverb. Physician, heal yourself. What well, we've heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown at well. And that's his first statement, the first salvo. And, and he sees that last lack of acceptance. And, and the idea of this proverb, when it says physician, heal yourself, it really has a two-pronged idea. One is that you say you're a physician, prove it. You say you're the Messiah, prove it. But when it says heal yourself and and the emphasis on yourself, the the combined idea is why don't you do these things at home? This is you. This is your family. This is your clan. Jesus, you've been out doing all these incredible things everywhere else. Let's see some for us. That's what that Proverbs is saying. Come here. And in fact, he explains it in in the next phrase of the verse, right? What we've heard you did at Capernaum Do here in your hometown as well. Let's put the little trick monkey on the stand and see his tricks. Because we want to benefit from this. Is that belief in God? Is that open-hearted reception? Or is that a cold heart that is just looking for self? What can I gain? What can you do for me? You're making big claims. Show us. Come on, this is where you should be anyway. And so when they say what we've heard, they're they're questioning whether they even believe it. It's not what we believe, but prove this. And in fact, Mark will go on to say that that Jesus did very few miracles here because of their unbelief. And so then Jesus goes on and, and, and he goes on in verse 24 and he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. And again, he's he's calling them on it. And this isn't just trying to cause a fight. He already sees their heart. He's revealing their heart. And and he says, no prophets acceptable. Yeah, I'm still little Jesus to you. You haven't, and he uses the word acceptable, you haven't accepted my message. It hasn't changed you. It hasn't gone head, heart, hands, which is the only way that true acceptance happens. And we know that that it's hard for the city of Nazareth. It's hard to to see someone that you've known their whole life as an expert. It's hard as we raise up leaders to see someone that we knew when they were younger and we know their faults, because we do have faults, to see them in ministry, to see them over us in any case. Most of you, many of you have seen, seen me since I was in college. And my mistake, you saw me before I was married. Some of you attended my, my wedding. Susie was there too. <laughs> and, and it was a transition when I became pastor here. Because now little Ron is, is, is teaching God's word. But, but I, I just praise this congregation for your receptivity to realize it's not about the person unless they're walking in sin or not. It's about the message. And Jesus calls them. No prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Interestingly enough, he's declaring that he is speaking God's words here. He again is, is proclaiming that he's the Messiah. And he goes on and, and and he continues to push because he's revealing their heart. And so he brings up two examples. And in 25 and 26, we see the example of Elijah and the widow. And, and then we'll see the example of Naaman and in 25. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. And do you remember the story? It doesn't rain for three and a half years. There's famine. And Elijah ends up going to a Gentile area, Zarephath. And, and the widow there comes to the well and she's, she's gathering stuff to make a last meal for her and her son so they can die. That's how bad it was. I, I don't think any of us have gotten there to where this is, this is it and then we die. And Elijah comes up to her and says... You know, I I know you're making that, and I know that's for you and your son. I'd like you to give that to me. That is bold. And she has a choice then. It's it's a statement that requires a decision. Do I believe him? Do I believe he's a man of God, a prophet of God, and give him this, or do I not? Because I'm going to go home and die with my son. And she believed him and gave him the food. And we know that he ended up living with her and God provided unending oil and flour and provided for them. Miracle. Because she received the message. She, she came and believed and had faith in God. And so we, that's the story here. There were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And now if you're in the synagogue and you're hearing this, the little hairs on the back of your neck are starting to rise up because he just said that Gentiles were as good as Jews. In fact, he said that Gentiles were sought out by God. Praise God. God Jesus here is reaffirming salvation is for all. And, he, and he's fighting some racist beliefs. He's fighting some, some ideas that this was only for us. And they're getting angry. And so just to make sure they get the point, he goes on in 27. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian, another Gentile. Do you remember that story? He came and and Elisha said, you've got to go dunk yourself in the Jordan River seven times. And the Jordan River was, it's muddy. It's, 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 It's a little dirty compared to the, what he was used to. He went away proud, saying, I'm not going to do it. And his servant said, his servant called him on his attitude and said, maybe if you humbled yourself and did it and followed what God said, maybe you'd see God work. And he did and was healed. And so, so Jesus here is bringing up examples of Gentiles who had more faith and were more receptive to the message than the Jews were. And this was a bridge too far. This is a bridge too far. Salvation for all? Really, Jesus? Gentiles have worth? Really, Jesus? And now little Jesus has called them out, and they can't handle it. 28. When they heard these things, all the synagogue were filled with wrath. They weren't just displeased. They were were angry. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. So they tried to kill him. There, there's some that say this is one of the methods for stoning. You threw someone down on the stones and then you threw big rocks on them and that was a way to kill them. And that, that, that we know from history that is one of the ways we did it. But they were so mad that they tried to kill one of their own. And there we see their heart. It's not a heart of acceptance. It's a heart of rejection because he said things they didn't like and they didn't want to hear and they wouldn't humble themselves and they wouldn't come under his authority. I wanted to show a picture, but I couldn't find it. I have a picture of what could have been this place. There's a cliff and rocks and and I'm hanging onto the rocks. It looks like I'm going over, but um, it was safe. I was standing on something. But um, Long story short, they could have done it, and they could have killed him. And we see a miracle here. He just went through their midst and went away. And what's interesting is this rejection appears to be final for Nazareth. We have no record that Jesus ever went back. And rejection of Jesus, especially in salvation, rejection of Jesus sometimes hardens our hearts so much that it's it's final for us. And if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, He is that Messiah that wants to bring freedom, that wants to bring forgiveness, that died on the cross for our sins and wants us to give our hearts to Him. But if we say no too many times, we harden our hearts and the calluses stay. This is sobering. Rejection is final sometimes. So what do we do with this story? really it's a story about unreceptive hearts and so so what do we see in here that should be warning flags for us and and so on the other page of your uh, the other side of your notes i just have a series of questions because if we're to develop receptive hearts our first step is to to notice what's in the text of what an unreceptive heart looks like what does a hard heart look like are we going to fall into to the galilean reception and accept christ or the nazareth reception and completely reject him to the point of wanting to kill him or animosity. And again, we want to think of our head, our heart, and our hands, that a receptive heart always affects all three of those. So there's a series of questions there. Just to read through, maybe this week, I'm going to read through them here, but, but read through this week and think about and pray about and say, God, how's my heart? A heart check every now and then is, is good. Good. First question, am I an admirer or a follower of Jesus? And really the difference between the two is sacrifice. Am I, am I surrendered to Jesus, that's a follower, or am I an admirer, I'm a fan of Jesus. I clicked like on his, his Facebook page because I'm impressed. That isn't what Jesus is looking for. And, and if coming here on Sunday morning is about that for you, to, to get my, my spiritual fix and then I'm good for the rest of the week, I don't have to think about him, you're here for the wrong reasons. It's not what Jesus is looking for. And, and you won't have the power of the Holy Spirit working through it. It, it. It's a mess. Am I an admirer or a follower of Jesus? Am I passionate about my walk with God or has familiarity bred apathy? Am I passionate about my walk with God or has familiarity bred apathy? Three. Three. Do I have compassion and a heart for the poor and marginalized? Jesus did. That's the kind of Messiah he was. If we don't, if we struggle with that, that's a sign of a hardening part of our heart. Does my hand time match my head time? Now, now let me explain that because that just sounds weird. Think of head, heart, hands. Do I spend as much time... Following God in ministry, doing the work of God as I do wanting to study the Bible or find out more facts about God. I have known people that know more about the Bible than I will ever know. And they they study it backwards and forwards, but it never got to their heart and their hands. And so we need to ask the question, am I spending time in ministry? Because if it's just about knowledge gathering, then then probably I have a hard heart in some areas. The other part of that is, or do I neglect both? Am I not spending any time in the Word? Am I not spending any time serving God, witnessing to my neighbors, sharing Christ with others? Next question, and this one challenged me. Have I been challenged by God's Word in the last month? Have I been challenged by God's Word? Have I been convicted by God's Word in the last month? Because there is stuff in here that every time we come to it will will ask us to change. And if I'm never being convicted to change, if I'm never seeing God sanctifying my life, then my heart is stopping it. And there's a hard heart there. I've been a believer 46 years now. And I still come to the text... And I still, when I'm open to it, am challenged and convicted and the Holy Spirit reveals junk in my life and attitudes that aren't right. And if that's not happening, we need, we need to change our heart. Do I approach teaching in the church with a critical, skeptical spirit? Now, this is different from a Berean spirit, the way they search the Scriptures daily to see if those things were so... But sometimes we come to any teaching, and whether it be church or other biblical teaching, and we come with skepticism and criticism, and sort of our our walls are already up. And that's a sign of a heart that isn't tilled and ready for the Holy Spirit to work. That's a hard heart. That's a Nazareth heart. Is my heart godly, and this comes right from the story and and understanding the story, is my heart godly and submissive when someone younger or less experienced than me and my awesome knowledge is leading a ministry? (laughs) Enough said. Same Holy Spirit's in your brother and sister in Christ that's in you. And He's the power for ministry. Think about that. Do I want everything to match my expectations and get frustrated when they don't? Nazareth wanted Jesus to be the Messiah they wanted. Do your ministry here. Help us. It's about us. We want to see the benefits of what you're doing. They had an agenda. Jesus didn't fulfill their agenda. Their hearts were hard. How do I respond when someone brings up an area of growth for me? Well, I don't really like it. I don't. But do I respond in anger, defensiveness, or am I open? Do I stay bitter at the person that had the guts to share something that was on their hearts? Doesn't mean everyone that shares something with you is always right. But am I open to it? Hard heart or soft heart? Is there anything I'm waiting for God to do in my life before I jump into service? Before I jump into serving? And finally, do I really think I have it all together spiritually? Do I really think I have it together spiritually? Sometimes that shows in an attitude that says, well, I'm I'm coming because I'm mature in my faith and I'm going to impart my wisdom to others. Now, Now, don't get me wrong, there's some truth to that. There's some good to that because that's mentoring and that's discipleship. But when that is our attitude, now it's sort of sickening because now I'm not a fellow traveler with Christ experiencing God's grace and mercy just like you. I've now elevated myself above you. These are hard questions. But in the end, the reception that Jesus is looking for how he's looking for us to come to his word, to come to his message, to come to him, is with humble repentance like Naaman had to learn. A heart change, a heart that receives the message. It's to trust in God without reservation, to to give all to God like the widow. It's to obey in our actions and not just know in our head. Have I frequently tilled the soil of my heart enough to where I'm open to God's word? We we, we prepare our hearts by being in God's Word. Just like a garden. Man, if you cultivate that thing once a year, you're not going to grow much. You keep it up. You keep in God's Word. That's why I was so thrilled at how many people are memorizing God's Word. That's tilling our hearts. It's preparing our hearts. God will bless that. Not with money or health, but He'll bless that with a spiritual closeness to Him. Head, heart, hand. We need to be receptive in all areas. Our head, what can I learn today? What does God want to teach me today? Our heart, show me your sin. Search me, O God, and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Hands, am I open to change? I know, I just said a dirty word for many. Am I open to changing things in my life, doing different things? These are all evidences of a receptive heart. I want to end with a, a quote by Tozer that I put in your notes a prayer of his. Lord, give me open ears, a quiet mind, a receptive heart, and a willingness to obey. I commit before you my desire to acquire a lifelong habit of spiritual response. Amen. Oh, that that's our prayer. And so we come, and if you stand with me, I want to sing a a song. This is Amazing Grace, a, a familiar song. But we stand as men and women all under the grace of God, all needing to be receptive to God, all needing to watch out for hard hearts. And so let's stand and just praise God for His grace, the softening power of the Holy Spirit. Lord God, our Father, we praise You for what You accomplished on the cross. We praise You for Your grace, for Your salvation, Lord, and that You ongoingly want to be in our lives, changing us and sanctifying us and making us more like You every day. Lord, help us to be open to that to be receptive to that. Lord, create soft hearts at Village and not hard calloused hearts. Soft hearts that come to Your Word every time we read it and say, God has something for me today. Change me, God. Encourage me. Challenge me. Make me more like You. Lord, I thank You for this congregation and their efforts towards that. Lord, I pray that You would use this church, this church family to touch lives for You in this neighborhood, in our own neighborhoods, in our workplaces, that we would be able to share that amazing grace with people. That we would live it, that we would believe it, that we would do it. Lord, we praise you. We are your sons and daughters. In Jesus' name.